This is Thrive Perspectives, an ever-growing discussion about the issues and ideas that shape our lives, with your guide, Dr. Matthew Jacoby. Good to be back in the studio doing Perspectives Episode 2 after a little, mm. little bit of a break. So, And great to have our good friend uh, Connell with us again, Matt. G'day, Connell. G'day, Stuart. It's uh, good to have you back on the team here. And we're going to be picking up our conversation around worldview. And mm. uh, Where did we, we get to, Stuart? Yeah, well, gee, uh, where did we get to, Matt? So I think probably one of the key things to, to go back over is just to um, really highlight the diagram that we were using to illustrate some of the points that we were trying to talk mm. about last time. So, uh, listeners, if you haven't caught episode one yet of this World View series, I'd really encourage you to jump back, uh, have a listen to that. That's going to really inform where the conversation goes moving forward. But we talked about the axes. We talked about essentially a, a horizontal line. So, uh, listeners, draw on a piece of paper a horizontal line and then a vertical line intersecting that. So, you essentially have a big plus sign mm. on your piece of paper. On the left hand end of the horizontal line, we used the word pain. On the right-hand end of the horizontal line, we used the word pleasure. And at the top of the vertical line, we used the word sacred. And at the bottom of the vertical line, we used the word profane. And there are a whole lot of other words that you could could associate with those those words. So good, bad, you know, however you want to use those those words. But essentially what we're trying to illustrate there is the two axes. And really what we were saying is for Western culture, largely, we live on this horizontal axis only. Yep. You know, where we're, we're essentially seeing the purpose of life is to move from pain to pleasure, to move from having to have a full-time job to not having to work at all and be retired and, yep. you know, on my sailing boat and living the life yep. of luxury, or however you want to define that. But we spend a lot of our time and yet we miss out on so much because we don't engage uh, with the invitation that there is on this vertical line to with the sacred. Um, and in fact, I think, Matt, you, you spoke a bit about also the way we, the reason we've perhaps eliminated this vertical line is because we're trying to eliminate the those things below the the horizontal, right, yeah. the, the profane, the painful, or, or sorry, the profane and the, the the things that disgust and the shame yeah. and all those yeah, sorts yeah. of things. And so the way to eliminate that is to also eliminate Just get rid of the whole the, the whole, whole element of reality. Exactly and right. I think that's <clears throat> that's probably where the diagram is useful. And and again, the diagram is a tool. Um, yes. But the idea is is to create a little bit of a map of reality to push against essentially a flattening of reality in our culture to recognize that there's another whole dimension to reality that our culture tends not to acknowledge, yeah. but which we are actually wired for. And, um, and so the horizontal axis depicts that flattening, I guess, it, with that on its own. Mm. That we live, as you said, you know, we live life on this trajectory between pain and pleasure. Um, but mm. yet, even if we're moving, you know, in a satisfactory way along that horizontal axis towards pleasure, you can attain that and yet be left feeling empty because we're wired for more than that. You know, th- there's a whole other dimension of reality that the, that we've, you know, that I've tried to depict using that vertical axis mm. because there's these elements of the the sacred and the sublime and the you know the glorious mm. things things associated with with this transcendent realm mm. uh, with the fact that we are uh, we we are people created in the image of god there's this whole other aspect of reality it's where a sense of transcendent purpose sits um, and of course at the bottom of that vertical axis lies experiences which essentially go the opposite to that. So as you said, yeah. take you know a word like defilement mm. in our culture. The, even the concept of that is 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 a bit countercultural now. It's or we don't want to even think of that. So we just get rid of the whole aspect of reality. But there is a sense in which something sacred can be desecrated and we do experience that actually. We do uh, in our experience uh, we have this um, these feelings of desecration that don't really get validated no. in our culture. Mm. So e- even though you may not believe in that whole other dimension, yet in various ways, we, we still, in, in sort of veiled senses, we still experience yeah. the things on that on that vertical axis. And, and interestingly, I think you said last time too, interestingly, you know, most <clears throat> other, bit of a generalization there, but let's say most other indigenous cultures are, around the world still actually put a lot of value in the, in a vertical 
access. Well, to actually, form, all. You know? Well, actually, I'd say every other culture, apart from from a sort of post enlightenment, let's call it broadly speaking, European culture, hold to this. You know, we're the only ones that have that live in this secular mm. uh, secular space. Very um, important uh, philosophical work from sort of the last twenty years is um, Charles Taylor's a Secular Age. Charles Taylor is a is a Catholic philosopher, very influential philosopher, but he's he's done a really amazing analysis of the uh, the way of thinking of our particular secular age showing how it's different from every other time and even in our time every other place yeah, in right. you know, every other culture mm. and showing what's distinctive about it and even in a sense what's kind of dysfunctional about it uh, as well and and you know he depicts you know he talks about um, people living in, in the language that he uses is in this imminent frame. We only accept the reality that's available to our senses and in some ways available uh, to our um, logical analysis in some sense, that yeah. there's no reality you know, beyond that. And so it's a you know, flattening of that reality. And he also talks about us living in a buffered relationship with, our, you know, with, with, with reality. So in order to do that, in order for reality to be the object of our analysis – Therefore, we have to have this buffered relationship to it. You know, when we're not, and and he contrasts that to uh, a, a porous relationship with reality. That, you know, that he sees it. You know, probably before, say, five hundred years ago, in even in a European culture, that was the the way people would never have even thought about even questioning whether there was a spiritual realm and God and so forth. It wouldn't have even occurred to them to question that. Mm. Um, and 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 indeed, in most other cultures, that's still the case. Uh, but this, with this buffering, this buffered relationship uh, through the Enlightenment period and this drawing back and, and trying to re- reduce reality to what we can sort of access with our senses and our, and our intellect has, has created this, essentially this flattening of, of, of our world. And uh, it's, it's what, and another, another book that I, I think alluded to in the last episode, if I remember rightly, is the is the uh, actually the novel Flatland by yeah. Edwin Abbott, and uh, you know where he you know he parodies essentially what and, and that's late nineteenth century. He, even he even saw that happening then as the flattening of our reality, and so he mm. tells this story about you know. Uh, these characters are a sort of two dimension, two dimensional figures, you know, a two dimensional like squares and triangles and uh, mm. that's right. And so, and, and then, you know, the lead character has this encounter with a sphere and, mm. you know, it's, it's a very clever way of, of picturing really what has gone wrong, you know, that we've lost, we've lost touch with it, with a whole other dimension of reality uh, for which you know, for which we are, and I'll say it again, for which we are very much wired. Uh, we're wired for that, and that's been yeah. recognised in a number of ways in in psychology and, yeah. and so forth. So, great recap, man. Um, Connell, did you have any reflections from you know before we sort of jump into taking it the next stage? And mm. that'd be good to you know to, to yeah. move forward on that. But was there anything else that you kind of wanted yeah. to reflect on from our last convo? Well, to, I, th- I think um, yeah, Matt's intro there was. Was was a good summary, and I think for a lot of Christians, sort of listening, you might be thinking, "Yeah, well, I'm a Christian. Obviously, I'm not part of that, you know, way of thinking of 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 just that one dimensional. Mm. I do have the spiritual aspect mm. in my life, and therefore, mm. therefore, you mm. know, you're not really speaking to me. You're speaking to those who are, mm. are outside of uh, outside of the church." And so, but I, I think this is this is where we I think we really want to get to today, mm. and I think where's where we're going to lead into is why should I actually care as a Christian? Because I think all of those things have impacted us as Christians as well, mm. not even just as individuals, but even within the church in terms of that one-dimensional way of thinking, even that sort of uh, relying on the fact that we have to be able to rationalize everything in order yeah, to be able to, to prove that it's true. The experience has to be very tangible, um, very present, something that I can actually comprehend. Yeah. In, so in other in words, head. even for a lot of Christians, and, and this is partly why I emphasize this in you know to Christians, is because I think a lot of Christians can live on that flat axis. Yeah. And not really recognise because again the cultural pressure mm. 
has this flattening effect on our experience. And so a valid, uh, you know, valid ideas and a valid experience, a valid experience means a tangible experience in some mm-hmm. sense, and valid ideas mean some, something that I yep. can logically grasp. Yes, that's right. And, and something too that I think even seems uh, intellectually reasonable yeah. or understandable, it's mm. got to fit inside my brain. Yeah. So my whole experience with God or church has to be something that I can tangibly yeah. sort of wrap my head around and be able to uh, understand it, in, it logically yeah. as being, as being reason. And therefore, I think it's a reflection of just the world yeah. because that's where yeah. we all come from yeah. and we like to understand everything. Yeah, that's a great yeah. point. And that comes back to my point about you know, the way that we reflect and understand the truth you know, truth is not the object of my reflection as such, because that that puts me somehow on the outside. Like you said, we're trying to constantly fit it into our into our ways of thinking, yep. whereas it's actually we need to fit in with it. It's it, it's what in in philosophy you talk you need to talk about an existential position, like a, how, how we are we relating to reality as though we were on the outside looking in. Mm-hmm. That's that experience where you you feel like. You, you're sort of constantly uh, outside your own life. You know, we're invited to actually step inside, inside mm. that truth, rather than it fit into our minds. Yeah. We're we're invited to put our lives uh, into into the truth in in a very um, in a very constant. An experiential way, but with with a real constancy mm. to it. That we that even the way that we think and reflect, and you know, we do so from the inside rather from the outside looking in. Which is, I think, one of the big problems with a lot of people these days that I have conversations with. You know, Connell, and you'd be the same. It's like we're constantly, and and I and I think probably we're all similar in this way. Is that you? You just feel like you want to think your way into the truth. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and the funny thing is, in doing that, you you end up further away because yeah. that I'm going to think about it like it's an intellectual object mm-hmm. for my reflection. Mm-hmm. Already, that's a false situation. So the more you do that, the more, in, in a sense, you buffer yourself from the very thing that essentially you can only really know from the inside. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's and, great. I, and I think um, I think I naturally want to. And I think it's probably true for, for the three of us. I like thinking these things through and I don't, I don't, I often do put myself outside of the picture mm. to try to, to think about what does it actually look like looking at it differently to, mm. to how I would normally think. I'm, I'm, I'm always after another idea that I can grab hold of yeah. that, that changes how I think about things. Mm. So I think naturally, I think certainly the three of us, um, enjoy just thinking about these things just purely mm. for the sake of thinking about them and, and what and what it actually kind of uh, what kind of comes out of that thinking and, and and so on so you can I think we're drawn to it but I know that for a lot of people who would be listening mm. and a lot of Christians they're not drawn to those things mm. they they kind of listen to it and go oh yeah that's interesting that would explain that and then when they walk out the door yeah, it's, it's like great point. life great point. goes on as normal. And I think the really key thing that I think we've got to try to do mm. over what, however many episodes this goes for mm. is answer the question of ultimately, but so what? Yeah, mm. To good. the average person mm. who isn't excited by big ideas mm. and worldviews and, yeah. and, 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 and so on. What does it mean for them? Yeah, and day I think by day. I think that's really important, Connor. And it is one of the things mm. we talked about pre-podcast that we really want to make sure it, it's going to seem like there's a lot of kind of you know thinking mm. going on here. You're not but telling me I have to be practical. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no, I'm not going. Come to Come on, that. guys. But I, I think I think <laughs> you're, you're pushing it a bit. Yeah, there. yeah that's right. <laughs> I think genuinely though, there is an element where you have to be able to identify the problem before you can actually start to work mm. on a solution. And I think part of the first couple of episodes here is we're actually just trying to paint the picture of the, mm. the problem. Mm. And uh, but, but listeners, stick with us. We will, over this series, you know, I think we will be able to land mm. some really practical ways that we can start to uh, find ourselves on that mm. vertical axis and, and taking up the invitation that's there, uh, you know, to, to, 
to connect in with that vertical axis. Yeah. But it is and about identifying yeah. what the problem is first, I think. Yeah, and, and, and it, it raises the question, how, how do you actually, yeah. how do you broaden your worldview? It's actually not just a matter of just thinking, changing mm-hmm. the way that you think. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got to habituate yourself mm-hmm. through, you've got to be doing things that are constantly stretching your, elasticizing your imagination. Um, and also... Um, habituating yourself to a different way of knowing. So there actually is some very practical. Yeah. Ultimately, it is it is practical. Well, I think they're potentially life-changing. And yeah. I think this is why people should stick with it, <clears throat> even if you kind of think, yeah, interesting ideas, but what is it? How do I actually put this into practice? It's not even – it's how do I put it into practice, but it's not just about how to put it into practice. It's actually these things I think that we're talking about that are almost like keys that unlock – what I would consider big ideas yeah. mm. that are actually life-changing, mm. that if you can take them on board and, 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 yeah. and properly understand what it is that they're saying and, and, and where they kind of lead yeah. your thinking and how mm. you view the world, mm. um, if you take them on board, they are life-changing. And I, and yeah. I know since you first introduced me to the, this idea, Matt, it's constantly turning mm. over in my mind mm. and different ideas kind of pop out at me. Yeah, just go, well, actually, that would explain this and explain that. And and it actually highlights to me yeah, where maybe I go wrong in my own mm. thinking or to appreciate things that are going yeah. on around me, which are what we can talk about as to how how some of these ideas can help yeah, it's great. transform yeah. just how we actually engage and interact yeah. in the yeah. world. So I think it's great. And, and you know, the, world, the word worldview really is saying the lens through which we look at all of these things. You know, it's mm. like we can either look through just normal glasses or we can look through yeah. 3D glasses. And, you know, is it probably a poor no, that's good. analogy, yeah, like but it, it gives yeah. us one. And I think that's what we're doing because it's not then about thinking, it's about seeing things differently. Mm. It's not about thinking necessarily differently. But if you see it differently, it reshapes you're thinking, and I think that's probably yeah. where we want to head. I so. went to a, I, I went to watch Avatar actually, in with in 3D, and oh, I took wow. my, at, at regular points. I took, I'm curious. I take the glasses off to see what it looks like, and they have this double because yeah. then suddenly so, it flattens, and yeah. so they have this double, and it just doesn't. It becomes an incoherent image uh, yeah. largely, and I think this that's a good illustration, Stu, because I, I think God wants us to to live with our sort of existential 3D glasses with a with an ability actually to see mm. reality in three dimensions, so to speak, or mm. four dimensions, or wherever what you, you want to you yep. want to put it. And again, speaking about you yep. know when you speak to when I'm talk about dimensions, talking analogically, but maybe that's a good way to put this. So yeah, yeah we certainly want to. And I actually love that. you know the fact you just said about taking the glasses off because what we think actually looks okay, we've just got mm. used to it looking okay yeah. with our normal glasses on. Yeah, we got used to that because we just haven't put our yeah. 3D glasses on to go. Oh man, that that looks terrible now. And it's not until we yeah. do, and then we take them off and we look again. We go, oh man, I've been missing. Yeah, so much. I think that's, yeah, that's, a, that's right. a great little illustration. And you I think, just gave us I think I'm going to use that, Stu. Next mm-hmm. next sermon, okay. uh, that that illustration's come out. Yeah, <laughs> watch this space. <laughs> I should, this is good. I'm going to do my sermon prep right here, <laughs> inductively. We should kick into this episode, Matt. Where are we yeah. going to go? Where are we going to go today? Well, in well terms I thought, of this yeah, diagram I thought we'd and... work with that with that diagram. So I think it would be good to, for our listeners to pitch that. Maybe even draw it on a piece yeah, of paper. Yeah, great idea. Uh, we'll put something on. Yeah, we will, Matt. I think what we might do, listeners, is we'll film a short video of Matt explaining the diagram, and and it'll be the two axes plus some things we're going to talk about today. Yeah, and we'll. We'll make sure that that's up on our website for you to access in the next yep. week. Um, so, so check that out, uh, thrivetoday.tv, and we'll okay. make sure that that's up. So we want to actually um, talk about how that model actually opens up elements of, of yeah, experience, great. actually real-life experience, perhaps even experience on the extremes. Um, and so picturing that double axis, again, it's a cross with you know, sacred and, and all of the things associated with that the sublime the glorious and so forth up the top you know at the bottom of the vertical axis you know those experiences of a sense of desecration you know shame uh, sense of yeah, yep. the, the the profane at the bottom yep. uh, again the the pain and the pleasure um so i want to divide that into four bits quadrants? then if you imagine yep. the, the you know the cross and that there are four essentially four quadrants uh, within that and, and I want to speak first to the, the sort of the top right hand, that space between pleasure yep. on the one hand and, and the sacred. 
there is a there is a real connection between pleasure and the sex. What we I think we've done with pleasure is we've flattened pleasure down. It's become very much about satisfying impulses, essentially natural impulses and appetites, uh, and that's in a sense you know where. Uh, what we've associated with with pleasure, but there's this element of pleasure, and certainly people. This is validating the fact, you know, in what people actually do for pleasure. They inevitably inevitably looking for something that has an elevating effect in some sense, uh, even though this is not acknowledged, in, you know, in in our culture. There is this association with this connection between the sacred, because ultimately, what gives us the way that we're wired. Uh, as spiritual beings, what gives us the most pleasure is ultimately what is most sacred. And so, again, we're wired for that connection with what is most sacred. And even even what is sacred in each other. So, for, you know, we can draw immense pleasure from relationships. I mean, this is ultimately our relationship with God because God is the one who is most sublime and glorious. And so, there is this sense in which our ultimate pleasure is in God. Now, that's a bit of a cliche for a lot of people. Yeah. You, I, yep. Sometimes when you say that, I mean, I can feel, you know, you yep. know, I'll say that in, a, in the context of preaching or something, and I can almost feel the irritation. Mm. It's like, mm. what does that mean? You know, to have pleasure in God, such an abstract uh, idea. Well, people say it all, the, as you say, it's used yeah. a lot, and, and, we, and but we just don't individually feel anything around that. It's like. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think pleasure is a good word because pleasure to me could mean because of the almost, association of the flat axis. It, yeah, and it it's almost like a a a feeling that I'm seeking, like I'm I'm actually yeah. engaging in something that gives me pleasure. Yeah. But I think pleasure could be just pursuit of something that is satisfying, whether it's it it's feeling it's feeling satisfied in what I'm doing in my life. I'm yeah. I'm being able to achieve. The things that, I mean, there's got pleasure, you've got other words like joy, happiness, mm. things like that. It's not necessarily an activity, but it's a, it's a, it could be a, a state of well-being. Yeah. You're trying to chase yeah. a state of well-being rather than a state of being in, in pain and, and suffering. Uh, and, and this is where those words are interchangeable. Mm. I, and I think we've just chosen to use, I, I totally get your point. Mm. And I, it, it is difficult because, as you said, Matt, this also changes the meaning of words, yeah. um, but well, that's right. Pick so, something to go yeah, with. That's so, right. Yeah, um, I, I think I think C.S. Lewis's illustration about the sun. You know, he talks about it's we we don't really look at the sun. We, we you can't look at the sun directly, but uh, but by the by the light of the sun, we see everything. So in, in a way, we see the reflection of the sun almost in everything. Yeah, and I think this is this in a way, practically speaking, is how how we experience god it's it's not that we're it's not that we encounter an object because this is the problem you talk about taking pleasure in god and suddenly people flatten that to an experience of some kind of tangible encounter with an object right now god is not an object you know it's the being of god you know undergirds all you know everything else god is is present and at work in everything god transcends everything but there's a sense in that illustration that that the reflection of God is in everything around us constantly. The goodness of God is in everything. The power of God is at work constantly in all things. It's actually the very constancy of the presence and the power of God in all things that causes us actually not to uh, perhaps sense or, or be aware of that. And 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 there's a sense in which we can take pleasure in all things in their in their in that multi-dimensional sense you know what i mean so so where i and and it's not that we it's not that we aren't pursuing god in and of himself it's not that it's always mediated through the experience of other things but there's a sense in which every other thing including every other relationship has this sacramental quality and by that i mean that it is it is a it is the outstretched hand of god in some sense by sacrament, I mean, like mm. communion. Yep. You know, uh, it's a physical thing that com- that says something to us. It's it's God is communicating something through it. So everything in the world has, in some sense, a sacramental quality. God is speaking to us, reaching out to us. All. Now, it's not that those things are God. Uh, this is not pantheism that I'm advocating here. And this is where sometimes, uh, 
you know, Christians can veer away from these because, oh, that sounds a bit like, you know, Brahmin or, or, or you know, pantheistic mm. ideas. And so we – but we pendulum swing away from actually elements of truth mm. uh, in that because the fact is God sustains and upholds and is at work in all things all the time and so forth. Okay, so let's not move away. Let's not reduce God to, you know – a discrete being somewhere in the universe that we need to experience tangibly. So, so there's a sense in which uh, it's the very pervasiveness of the presence of God that causes us perhaps that idea to be a little bit elusive for us. But I think th- this is where that experience of pleasure uh, in in God can actually be something uh, something possible because. God is actually, in a sacramental sense, communicating with us all the time through everything. Yeah. So, and I think that's the problem with when we look at the word pleasure on a on that single uh, axis is that we we kind of reduce it down to an experience yeah. as distinct from the pain experience. But I think what we get when we introduce the vertical axis is that it does stretch out another dimension in that, which is almost that once you be kind of see that sacred dimension Mm. that pleasure and pain like pain can be satisfying and a sense of well-being when viewed when you're actually experiencing some kind of when you're connected to the sacredness that's right well well here's a great example of that connell and and, you know we're moving over to the to the left hand which is fine which Mm. you know let's just briefly re- refer to that. So if you go on the other side of the vertical line, you know, in that space between pain and and the sacred and the sublime and so forth. So I mean, top I, left-hand quadrant. Yeah, yeah, there, top right? left-hand quadrant. I yep. mean, I, I, I've been – lately, for some reason, been watching lots of mountain climbing yep. films, documentaries. Right. And, and I'm amazed at the amount of pain that these people go through to attain a sense and experience of the sublime – you know, and mountains in the human psyche have been associated with this experience of elevate, almost a sense of sacredness, and uh, and there's something there's something there, uh, there's something about what people will go, the painful experiences they will go through, to bring about some kind of experience of elevation. It's almost an experience of sacrifice that they're sacrificing so much because they're looking for something more, yeah. and it is actually a search for the sublime, and so. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think that's mm. that's a profound statement. It's, it's where, almost in a veiled sense, uh, you, you, you see people going after something sublime without really knowing, yep. you know, what they're doing. And yet, when they when they describe it back, even that, you know, that being on the edge of death itself, and and the, the how alive they feel, and mm. and it's all in in a in a sort of slightly garbled way. Is it, it looks like a search for the sublime, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, you, well, you've even got like, you know, Paul in prison. Mm. I'm sure he was in a place of enjoying. No, no, no. He was in a Roman prison. It's not a nice place to be, but but he was, in, but he was, he, he was connected to God. That's right. Because there was an immense sense of sacrifice. It was emptying him out. It was. It, it left him in this state of. It just demolished him in some sense because he goes through awful things. But it, there's this almost this sense he talks about in very similal ways to what a mountain, cl- although in different words and much more coherently, uh, because of course he's aware of the process by which this is actually drawing him closer to God, and yeah. in his emptiness and being stripped away, he he's he. It's this this state of porousness to use a term mm. I used before. But that's where his sense of well. He probably felt yeah. well-being because yeah, he's actually right. in the hand of God. Yeah. Um, as as opposed, he wasn't feeling pleasure. He was feeling pain, but he was still feeling. Would well, have well, still well had, I, w- I would say in yeah. in, a, in an elevated sense, th- there is a sense of pleasure in that. You yeah. know, and this is the thing that 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 there, there's this whole other dimension yeah. to pleasure. It draws it in the out. same way. Yeah. It's like why do people you know go climbing these mountains? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because through all the pain, there is this elevated form of pleasure mm-hmm. that, that comes about. But can I, can I say, in both of those examples, there's an ultimate goal that they both know. Yeah. Now, if you don't have that ultimate goal, if it's just getting from pain to pleasure, yeah. then pain is not worth putting up 
with. It's just the opposite of pleasure. No one's going to climb a mountain without knowing when they get to the top, assuming they're going to yeah, get to the top, yeah. and that's their goal. They're going to experience the sublime. Mm. Paul, you know, in his context, if he hadn't known Christ and known what it was that he was suffering for, he wouldn't have been feeling the pleasure in that pain either. Yeah. And I, so I think it's this whole sense of it's only when we've got this elevated sense of understanding that pain can then make sense as you said where, mm-hmm. where actually it's about sacrifice because of the ultimate sublime in the yeah. sacred when we get there so yeah that's yeah, right it's great i think i think practically one of the key things in that top right hand space between mm. the you know pleasure and the sacred and, and elevating experiences of pleasure is the the discipline i'm going to talk about as a discipline of recovering contemplative spaces yeah great uh because uh, we live at such a fast pace today that we we only really have time to satisfy essentially impulses. I'm hungry, I eat. I you know that immediate accessible pleasures, and and we and, and even even the sort of media that we watch becomes shorter and shorter for for media because we just you know we want to be satisfied. Want a quick hit, a very very quick hit. Yep. So we're really into quick hit yep. pleasure. But the the thing about the sacred and the sublime is that. It demands open space. It demands a sort of sacred space in our timeline, in our schedule. It's and, almost like you've got to stop. And, and stop yeah, trying that's right. to, 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 to you keep jumping all the time yeah. between pain and pleasure. It's almost like you've got to. Well, you're racing up that. You know, I mean, I think everyone's trying to race almost blindly up mm. that horror. You know, along that horizontal axis toward pleasure, and yet you're left feeling empty. But part of the problem is the lack of contemplative space and that's not just it's not just space in time it's actually mental mm. mental space because mm. we're so as a because we're living at the level of impulse constantly yeah. and the quick hit thing we're, we're we're so overstimulated and we're almost addicted to the quick hit mm. pleasure uh in in its various forms there are many different forms and so the idea of creating contemplative space is to move beyond impulse beyond quick hit pleasure to something more elevated and sublime. Mm. Uh, you, you, know, can, you can see the problem here, though, that if you've only got that one dimension, you're always going to feel <clears throat> like you're not quite um, satisfied or mm. you, you're not you're not where you want to be. So you're always, it's almost like you're running against like a piece of elastic well, yeah, tied well, to pain that keeps pulling yeah. you back and all of your energy goes into trying to move towards the 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 pleasure side. Yeah. And if that's all that you see, your whole life is pulling against that piece of elastic that's trying to keep that's pulling right. you back towards pain. That and, and what you've really got to do is it's almost like you've got to cut the elastic cord that keeps pulling yeah. you back and allow yourself to be wherever you are on that line. Not good point. Not pursue the pleasure. Mm. Not necessarily run away from pain and not pursue pleasure. It's it's accepting where you are now, and then allowing yourself to to, to and and change. actually and I would add to that, Connell, accepting where you are even on the vertical axis because mm. one of the reasons I think that people avoid contemplative spaces is because we in a sense we are we always begin below the line. Yeah. I mean, all have sinned and fallen short Great of point. the glory of God, right? So. Because it, because the, the first step really is allowing ourselves to see where there's been a desecration of something sacred, yeah. and and actually to allow ourselves to feel that, because this is the reason why in the first place we we get rid of that whole vertical axis, mm. is because we're trying to avoid an experience of of guilt, of shame, of mm. um, of sense of desecration, but actually we need to face the fact that something sacred, it be, and that's essentially the desecration. Sin is a f- form of desecration. Form of desecration of something mm-hmm. sacred, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact something being sacred means you can't do whatever you want with it, right? And and essentially, the problem with humanity is that we're broken away from God, and we've just treated this sacred thing that we are. We, we've essentially desecrated this because we were created for for worship for, for something sacred, and and we ourselves are infinitely sacred. So. Um, Matt, that's such a great. Just yeah, before you, yeah. that's such a great point. When we when we say beginning to try to create this contemplative yeah. space, it doesn't feel great to start with because we realise how that's right. far we are. But we've got to 
I'm guessing it, this it, is where it, you're going. We've can, got to push through because yeah. if we just go on how we feel the first few times, we're going to give up before yeah. we even begin and get above the horizontal yeah. line. That's right. And if we don't allow ourselves to feel the kind of pain, like and we're talking mm. three-dimensionally now, mm. the pain that's down that, mm. you know, the pain of, of – of our of how we've failed and fallen short and and that the the pain even of that sense of desecration that actually look that is where we meet Jesus that's where Jesus that's where salvation happens right that's where our transformation happens if you want to climb a ladder you don't start in the middle rung you start in the bottom rung mm-hmm. and the yeah. bottom rung of the ladder that leads to our elevation is down there in that place of humility of penitence you know i mean this is so biblical it's yeah, like right. those who sow in tears Psalm 126 those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy so there's something we've got to face reality before we can attain truth, you know, yeah. and the reality is that we have all fallen short. And I think it's the avoidance of that, that, that in a sense shuts us out from an experience of, of elevation because we have pursued pleasure or all of us have pursued pleasure in ways. And this is now going to the bottom right hand, uh, quadrant, quadrant essentially, yep. is that we have pursued pleasure in ways that have essentially desecrated, had this effect of desecration. And we need to actually allow ourselves to feel that that mm-hmm. pain and and meet Jesus in that place and find forgiveness uh, for you don't de- you don't deal with that pain of guilt just by saying oh there's nothing to be guilty about which is the way that our culture since you know roughly since the time of Sigmund Freud and so forth that's how he dealt you know faced with all of these clients that came with these sense of shame and and you know it, oh the, it was oh you got nothing to be it just got rid of the whole vertical axis you know, we'll just get rid of that. Well, that's ridiculous because we're wired for that. Mm. So, no, rather what we do is that we that's where we encounter Jesus and that's where we begin our journey. And and it's, in a sense, contemplative spaces, for me, contemplative spaces often bring me back to my failure. But for me, as a Christian, it's safe to face my failure mm-hmm. because that's where I encounter the grace of God. That's where I get lifted up. You yeah. know, those who humble themselves will, will be lifted up is the consistent just, theme in Scripture. I'm just thinking, like, a lot of us will probably start our Christian journey in that becoming aware of mm. our need for God and our sin. And that's kind of like the entry point, really, into that. Mm. And we begin our journey coming from the bottom, traveling up that vertical axis. But I'm just wondering there as well, a lot of us probably get stuck as we go up that axis because we end up then thinking, okay, now we've got to that. We've kind of got to first base and then God becomes just another vehicle for achieving what we've called pleasure. Maybe mm. it's not pleasure, True, but, yeah. but, but well-being. Mm. God is necessary to give me meaning and purpose in life. Um, to and, prosperity and, yeah, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and so on. So I kind of stop at that level mm. and I actually, God then becomes that that just another thing that I then re-transform the whole idea of God back into that horizontal axis. And it's a means then to keep the struggle on again, to get back to, he gives meaning to me, to me in my life and Mm. and so on. But is the outcome I'm seeking their well-being for myself or have I stopped at that level or is it, I should be pushing up, further is where I'm trying to get to there, that there's actually something yeah. beyond that that's pushing towards the pursuit of 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 the sacred, getting, you know, mm. pushing in closer to God because I want to be closer to God and I want to be part of the sacred space yeah. where he is rather than my own. And even if it means I'm in pain, that's where I want to be, irrespective mm. of pleasure or pain. And and often it, it can take painful experiences to take us back to, to where we need to be. I think it's it's important just to respond to what you're saying. It's Again, remember, let's remember the limitations of the diagram. Yeah. The diagram's just a tool. This is where the complexity is. Because the more sensitive, in my experience, the more, the more sensitive I become to that vertical axis, to the things of God, to sacredness, and the more my conscience softens and softens and softens and become more and more sensitive. Now, what this means is that I'm constantly realizing, actually, the things even in myself, you know, I'm, I, I, you know, finding new depths of way. And, and I know this, and this is where it's so countercultural, because I'm finding new ways in which I've got it all wrong. 
you know, in which I've gone wrong, essentially. And and our culture would say, oh, no, 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 it's, it's, you're fine, you're good, you know. But no, no, actually, in, in my worldview, it's actually the key is actually facing those elements. So when, when the onion gets peeled back, as I become more, you know, more sensitive and I realize those elements in myself that are restricting and because in a sense, there are things in us all that want to cl- constantly close reality down, right? Because mm-hmm. we, we have this God complex. So we want to be in mastery over reality. So we have to create a small enough reality over which we can feel like we've, we're in control, right? Mm-hmm. Which is why we create these small realities that we can grasp intellectually and then grasp through our senses. Because it's a kind of God complex. Mm. It's why we make reality into an object. It's, it's, mot- it's not just a mistake. It's not just an intellectual mistake. Yeah. It's a highly motivated aspect of human nature that goes right back to the original temptation, which is to be like God. We suffer from a God complex. And so, you know, we're constantly wanting to and, – and this is this is why even, you know, we can we can treat God as a means to an end in us because we, we, we can sort of return back mm. to, that, to that God complex I, so easily. I think we all – we go through stages or phases where we become sensitive to God and to the sacred and what he's saying to us and we become more, and then mm. we try to retake control again. Yeah. And I think that's where we stop trying to get up the, we actually lose that. I think the word there you said was sensitive to the sacred. Mm. And I think for a lot of Christians, you know, like we, we live our lives and we go through the process, but it becomes dry. Yeah. And it becomes just, it's just becomes, yeah, I'm a Christian. That's mm. how I live my life. I've in certain patterns and processes, and I think a certain way as a result of it. Where is God, though, yeah. in that? How sensitive am I to all? And it's almost like that sacred it's kind of starts to, to dull. Yeah. And then we just continue to live on that horizontal again. And I, I think that's where I mean we kind of hit a point and we retake yeah. control. And then it becomes, a, again, a, a thing of we're back and forth between pain and pleasure. And we need to re-get mm. sensitive. Mm. And, and I think part of that, and I know this is for me anyway, I know part of that, um, and this has been a bit of a journey for me over the last 10, 15 years, is that our, you know, in our Christian faith, we tend to, well, I've been forgiven, it's all okay, uh, and we minimize the sin in our lives that happens that we commit yeah. every single day and we don't yeah. feel the weight of that sin anymore because we kind of been told by our Western culture, oh, you're forgiven, it's all good, move on, nothing to see here, when actually I feel like we need to feel the weight of that more. We yeah. actually need to feel the sorrow of God, yeah. even though he loves us still and we are forgiven, the sorrow of God, when yeah. we make because that's what creates a sensitivity to aspiring, continuing to aspire up the vertical, you know, and the minute yeah. we try to dull that down, that sense of, I feel this cost, this yeah. pain. Uh, the easier it is for us to stop at the horizontal and keep mm. moving along because it's all dealt with. It's fine. Move along, move along. But in fact, when we feel the weight of our sin, um, man, you know, you just you suddenly you feel the draw up. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm yeah. always chasing. I still am chasing mm. pleasure. Mm. I still am playing on I that think we horizontal, all are. which, I'm, which I'm, we can't. We, you know, we're made. We're made for elevated pleasure. We're, mm. You know, we're made for that actually. Yeah. And and so, I mean, this is the thing. We, we, you know, everyone madly pursues pleasure in those physical forms because I think they're not recognizing that actually, yes, we are made for pleasure, but we're made for elevated forms of. And 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 that's not. And it's not that it's not those forms of pleasure. I mean, the pleasure of having a, even a really lovely meal of, or something. I mean. That's part of God's creation. That's, yeah. This is what I'm saying. It's recognizing the the whole other dimension, that sacramental quality. It's why, in you know, traditionally meals have been associated with Thanksgiving. You know, because because a meal traditionally is is being associated with pleasure, and so there's a sense in which let's recognize the other dimension of this. Let's recognize that as we experience the goodness of this food, that we're also experiencing the goodness of God. Let's let's open up. Let's mm. open this experience up and have a bigger experience than just a physical I, experience. I think I think that's that's the problem. That's the problem that I have. You know, sometimes I've got to, I, I like to watch YouTube and I'll watch video after video after video, trying to get those quick hits of, yeah. of, of, of pleasure. 
And I can tell you now that in my head, I do have a battle going on. Do I watch another YouTube video mm. or do I spend some time maybe trying to get into a more contemplative space yeah. and, and, and sort of sit with God? And nine out of ten times, the next YouTube video wins. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. You know. Oh, those I, short the, reels, you know, yeah. those little reels like, oh, what's this? What? 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 What's that what? One? You know. <laughs> and, and so I, I would chase that quick hit of pleasure again and preference that yep. over seeking a more, con- you know, that seeking yeah. God on, and that contemplate. And, and, and that's what I mean. I, I think we start to fill up our lot. We go through these phases where we are sensitive to, to God and seeking, and then we kind of drop back into this quick hit looking for yeah. pleasure when I think what we'd really want to do, and this is the power of this model that we're talking about, none of that makes sense unless we can kind of grab hold of it and stretch it out into, into another dimension and realize that those things in themselves will never, the end result of that isn't the pleasure that we're seeking. Yeah. It's only from when we're looking at it from from the top down yeah. and, and seeing it from that other dimension that all those things actually make sense. But I don't think we're creating enough space in our lives and it comes back to seeking and contemplation and that's why we need to see that vertical axis so that we know that that's – well, it's like an invitation. Yeah, that's another although there's way a lot of people that, that will, will – will, and, and this is what I – I mean mm. – what people have actually said to me as I've talked about this. So because it does, there's a sense almost of frustration of, you know, you, when you talk about, you know, because in church circles, we talk about seeking God and spending time with yeah. God. Actually, I think there's a step before that, actually. And I've realized this increasingly because spending time with God, it's just like, how do, I, I can't, straight away, they're, they're looking for something experiential and well, tangible. It's like we're striving. Yeah. So, we're trying to so, know. The, that's right. So what what I've actually been saying is that because the first step essentially is to learn actually to not be stimulated, mm-hmm. to learn actually to inhabit an an empty space. Mm-hmm. That I think is one of the most important disciplines. It's partly why you know at church in the first Monday night of every month we have this this what we call the waiting room where, where we invite people to come and sit si- in silence for an hour because I, and and a lot of it's interesting the responses to the people oh, I didn't really experience anything no no but that's not even the point actually the point is just the discipline of creating an open space in time where you where you just sit and do nothing because we have lost the, the ability to do that is absolutely crucial i had some surgery recently and and so i've had had to spend a lot of time immobile essentially and i thought to myself Okay, I'm not going to sit around watching TV all day. That's the easy option. <laughs> I thought, I'm really going to go, man. How'd yeah. that go? Yeah. Uh, well, actually, I, you know, I mean, well, actually, the World Cup was on, so I did watch. <laughs> I did watch copious amounts of football, but but actually, I, I you know, I had lots of time, and I was, and, and I actually, I was pretty deliberate. Like, and this is the thing about being conscious about how how am I going to use that time? Because I could easily fill it with just switching on the telly and watching, yep. you know, or sitting on my phone and you know you know, watching reels or, or, or whatever, which is immensely tempting. You yeah. know what I mean? You can just yeah. pick up your phone. You just yeah. can, you know, by the time you just watch, you know, a thousand reels in like five minutes. If you, know, <laughs> if you want no greater evidence of how distracted and pleasure-seeking we are, it's just look at, think about how many times you pick up yeah. your phone just to see if there's a, another message or another video or something yeah. else that you haven't seen before. Yeah, that's and right. it's just this constant, mm. constant, anyway. Like, yeah, that's right. And so, you know, I... I even just sitting at the table with a cup of tea, you know, like sitting at, outside on the deck and just drinking my cup of tea and just yeah. looking at my dog sleeping in the sun, you know, like just nothing, com- yeah. but just making the choice. I'm actually not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit here and in- inhabit this space yeah. and and just learn to be present. Just notice, look at the garden, look at the, feel the warmth of the just sit and do nothing. Yeah. That actually is a step. I think before, you know, prayer and and trying to, yeah, you know, do, do and I'm not saying don't pray. I'm, I'm, it's actually our begin ability. where you are. Yeah, yeah. it's begin but, where you are and learn to inhabit space. So, but I think a, a lot of ways when we do force ourselves to to, to go, oh, I need to go and pray. I need to set aside this time. There's a sense of striving that comes with it that says, right. I'm going to do this. And it's almost like I expect to get something out of it. Yeah. And if I don't get something out of it, then I'm disappointed. And I think, oh, 
you know, I didn't really kind of feel it. Um, And it might be discouraging then to, so yeah, I think we, we do go through phases. We go, I'm really going to get my prayer life in order. I'm going to spend more time on it. And it starts off like a new year's resolution. And then before you know it, it, you kind of step down and then it just falls away again. And I think what you're saying is it's actually really liberating is like, just stop the striving, just enjoy the world that God has put you in. So an example is, you know, like even when you go for a walk, just go for a walk, take the headphones out, stop listening to music, stop looking for stimulation and just be stimulated by the fact that you can hear the birds or you can see the wind blowing through the trees or the warmth of the sun and and enjoy it Mm. for once. I think it helps us to understand why the fourth commandment, one out of 10 commandments is stop Mm. work six days one day a week do nothing Mm. like just rest you know and there's a contemplative that has a contemplative association because of course when it talks about god rested on the seventh and he saw that all that he made and it was very good so it was just an enjoyment of the goodness Mm. of of his creation with human beings as the crown of his creation and the sense of of being still in that space Mm. and this is the this is the discipline of Sabbath, and I think this too this is a good place, you know, yeah, to finish great. because I think for us recovering the principle of Sabbath, not just as a day a week. For me, actually, a day a week is is uh, is important uh, to do that. I mean, but there are a number of different ways we can do that. I mean, traditionally, putting that day aside for worship to worship with other people because this is not just a solitary thing. One of the one of the ways in which I think we can recover these contemplative spaces is to do it together, mm. actually, and and create you know times where we get together and we 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 worship and and whether we feel like it or not is not even relevant. It's it's exercising this different ways of knowing and and seeking and reaching and and out to God and doing this. So so it's creating spaces for that. It's creating spaces where I can just, even through the day, go for a, as you know, as you say, mm-hmm. go for a walk, take the headphones out. When you're driving in the car, turn the radio off. Just inhabit little blocks of silence more and more and more. And, and do things that slow you down, not that speed up your mind. A lot of the media that we expose it to just, you know, speeds up uh, our minds. It doesn't slow our minds down. Uh, reflecting on, um, you know, so in, in my time, you know, I, I, I tried to do things that slowed me down. You know, I, I, I read parts of scripture slowly. I, I tried to, uh, you know, e- even read things that would, that would slow my mind down a little bit or, or, you know, go for walks, sit in empty space. In our, mm. It's so countercultural. It's so countercultural, mm. but it's so necessary for us learning to be present and create space in which to actually become more porous to what is beautiful and sublime and glorious and ultimately a space that God inhabits. Hi listeners, we have posted a video of the double access worldview chart that we refer to through this perspective series. You'll find the link in the podcast notes for this episode, or as a link on the latest Thrive Perspectives episode at our website, thrivetoday.tv. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Thrive Perspectives. Our hope is that these discussions will challenge you to look at life from a new perspective. You'll find all our resources at the Thrive Today website, thrivetoday.tv.